Um, we are we're walking through the book of Revelation, so just some light and airy reading. Um, I do want to say this. As I, I've been fighting this back and forth uh, through the weeks, and so if I'm feeling this, I have to think that uh, some of y'all might be feeling this too. Uh, there are times when I'm, I'm preparing, I'm, I'm studying or praying over a passage that I'm getting ready to preach on in this series, and it can be really discouraging because I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening right now. And the Lord has been really kind to sustain me in that. But it, it's felt like a lot of heavy lifting. And so something that I want to say to you and to myself as I'm saying it to you is um, it is a lie to believe that we have to fully understand every detail or every piece of every image in the book of Revelation in order for it to be beneficial to us. Okay. That is not true. So if you are feeling discouraged and you're like, man, I feel like half of this is lost on me, that's okay. Because if you're like me, um, most of us have never done a really serious deep dive into the book of Revelation before. And remember something that we say a lot is we are children. We are little children with our father, taking his hand, letting him lead us wherever he wants us to go. So to think that we could come to one of the most fantastical, amazing, uh, mind-blowing pieces of reading in the universe and just understand everything perfectly right out of the gate is, is crazy. And we don't do that with anything else. We would never go to a great piece of literature and say, I'm just going to give that a quick breeze through and I'm going to know everything there is to know about it. But something happens in us uh, and as we're in this world where there is opposition, we've been talking about how the enemy is at work trying to discourage and destroy the people of God. And I believe one of the ways that he might be doing that uh, now is to try to bring discouragement as we are studying this book that has so much deep encouragement for us. And so um, as we start this morning, I just want to throw that out there and say um, it's sort of like when you read it all the way through, you know what it's saying. Like when you read Revolution, <laughs> Revolution, when you read Revelation all the way through, you know what it's saying. You know that it's saying that there will be opposition and that Jesus is with his people and that we don't have to ultimately fear because he is with us and he will win and we will be with him for all eternity. And so we can hang on to that and as we go deeper into this book, um, we don't ever have to fear that all of this is lost on us. Okay? Okay, so here, I want to start with a song today. What, is, what does he do in that part of the song in the intro? About that? Okay. Okay. Uh, who doesn't know that song? Raise your hand and stand up, Brooks, <laughs> and be attacked by everyone else. Uh, what's that song? Why is that song important to us? Friends, yeah, what's friends? <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. Uh, 
Yeah, so that song, uh, if, if you are, like, raise your hand if you were like, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that show. Okay, a lot of folks. Okay, so when you hear that song, um, you're not just hearing the song that the band, the Rembrandts, put out. You're hearing that song in a completely different context that is, you know, if you'll allow me to go here with this kind of uh, dramatic language, is ushering you into a new world. It's, it's ushering you into the world that has been created by the writers of this show and all the characters and all the things that make those characters beloved to us. And it also probably reminds you of good times, like good times with your friends or whoever you would gather around and watch that with or watch reruns with or whatever you did, you know. But it's, it's, there's, it's bringing you back in touch with this sort of other world that is really deeply beloved to you. It makes you feel at peace. It makes you feel happy. It makes you feel like everything is right in the world. And um, I was just doing some reading this week, thinking about our passage, because we're going to hear about this song that the the people of God are are learning to sing. Um, And I I read, I've been doing some science reading again, so watch out. Um, But scientists say that Music is uh, the human activity above all other human activities that engages the most parts of our brain. It is the most all-consuming thing that we can listen to and be a part of, and it awakens all these different places in our brain that have to do with emotions and and feeling and and the way that we are processing things and the way that we see the world. And, um, you know, I've heard a lot of different... um, Scientists talk about how they're working with different populations to use music as part of this healing process for people with different, different issues and different traumas. Um, and so it's this idea that this music is, is pervasive. And I came across something that talked about um, why do we have theme songs for TV shows? And uh, the, the purpose of that has changed over the years. At first, when, when TV was, first became a thing, it was a commercial. Uh, And then it was sort of like an alarm clock when we could only watch the show at the time that it came on and the TV was just in the center of the house. It was like when you started to hear the song of the show, you knew it was time to go and and sit down and get ready for the show. But then in the time of uh, Friends, um, there was sort of a a different purpose. And this guy who's a a researcher in this area said, um, the theme song would show a bunch of scenes, the opening credits in the theme song would show a bunch of scenes that would indicate Uh, what you were about to see, and it was almost like a promise. It was almost like, here is what is in store for you, building the anticipation. And so uh, whoever's reading our passage, if you'd come on up. Um, Awesome. Thanks, Austin. Uh, We're going to be in Revelation chapter 14, but we're going to hear about, as Austin's coming up here, we, we've been, John has been seeing this vision. So again, revelation is the revealing, it's the unveiling of what is currently true and currently happening that we cannot see with our physical eyes. Uh, there's a whole spiritual realm that God is telling us all throughout scripture, but especially here in revelation, that there's so much at play that we cannot see every day. But there's also uh, a revealing that is happening. Jesus is showing us what is going to happen in the future to encourage all of God's people who are suffering in the world the way that it is now. 
And so the last couple of weeks, we've been um, unpacking this extended vision that John, John's getting all these different visions. And, but for our, our sake, I'm just going to go back to chapter 12 a couple of weeks ago, where we see this vision of the enemy as a dragon and the people of God as um, this mother who is giving birth to who, who would be Jesus, this baby, and the dragon is trying to devour this baby before he can do his work of saving the people of God. But he fails, he's cast out of heaven, and it says that he is furious, and he is making war on all of the saints, on all of the people of God, from the time that Jesus was ascended into heaven after his cross and re- his, his death and resurrection, until the time that he comes back to make everything right. The enemy knows that his time is short and he is working tirelessly with great anger and rage to do as much damage and destruction as possible to God's creation and to the people of God. And it says in the next chapter, 13, we see the dragon raising up from the sea a beast and raising up from the earth another beast. And those two beasts are working in tandem to carry out his will to bring destruction and deception to the earth to destroy God's creation and God's people. And so we have this scene through the political powers, the religious ideological powers, all of this combined creating this world in which we are cropping Jesus out of the picture and encouraging people to worship themselves, which is really worshiping the dragon, and doing life apart from God, which ultimately is destruction. But as John's seeing this vision and he's seeing the dragon, even though he's seeing the dragon be defeated, he's seeing these two monstrous beasts, and he sees their power, and he says, who can stand against these beasts? And that's where we pick up here in uh, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. Then I looked. Yeah. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits from God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. 
and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel come, came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are, we are here in your presence, uh, desiring, needing to hear from you. And uh, maybe not, maybe some of us are, are not desiring to hear from you, but we are here for other reasons. Uh, but Lord, I ask no matter why we think we're here, no matter how we feel, and no matter what we are thinking right now, I pray that you would do what we cannot do, which is to uh, calm the machinery of our mind, that you would stop the wheels from turning, on the things that we are concerned about. And would you turn our attention to you, the one who has made heaven and earth, the one who has made us and has told us how to live for our good because you love us. Would you have our full attention? And with that full attention, would you do what we cannot do, what I cannot do standing up here? And through your word and through your Holy Spirit, would you speak to us exactly what we need to hear to be convicted of sin, to be encouraged of your grace and your love for us and the new life that is in Jesus? And would you do all of your good work that you have for us, um, all of the things that you are doing in us that we know only a fraction of, would you continue those good works and use everything that's happening this morning here to strengthen us for our good and for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I mean, this passage is, is like a lot of the passages we've been in in Revelation. It is heavy, especially the last part, right? It is complicated. There are all these images and all these visions. And so I'm uh, just asking that you uh, trust that the Lord is going to do what he wants to do in you today. Um, and just follow me as we walk through here. We cannot get to every single 
thing, but we're going to do uh, what, I, what I believe he is calling us to pay attention to. So um, these three sections kind of break down in these three like mini visions that are part of this big overarching vision. And so as we walk through these, basically what we're seeing is um, we are learning to sing to Jesus the song that he is singing over us. So kind of first we see uh, worship and discipleship as we are learning to sing this new song um, that he is teaching us to sing. And then in the second section, we are learning to go with the angels and to sing this song in the world so that people can respond and hear Jesus singing to them too. Um, and then we, we end with uh, the things that the angels are calling. Uh, we see them happening at, at the end of all things. Um, the end of all things when the harvest the harvest time that has been the whole time that uh, creation has existed has come. And so uh, we start here, you know, John says, then I looked, I looked after seeing the dragon, after seeing these two beasts, I looked and I, I needed some deep encouragement. So I looked and the next thing that the Lord in his grace allowed me to see was behold, this, this breathtaking sight that breathed new life into me. And in the midst of seeing all those who dwell on the earth that are being uh, enslaved and who are being deceived by the two beasts at the, at the hands of the dragon as the puppeteer, and see all this opposition to Jesus and all this opposition to the things of God in the world, I look and thank God. I see on Mount Zion the Lamb. And he is standing. He is standing in victory atop of Mount Zion. Mount Zion is uh, the, the place that we're hearing about and the place that he's seeing in this vision because that represents the dwelling place of God on earth. It is the place where heaven and earth meet. It is the place where the veil is very thin. It is the place where it says that God will have his will done and it will start in Mount Zion and spread to all of the earth. It's the place where union and communion between God and his people is, uh, is sort of geographically located um, in imagery is Mount Zion. And we see that in what he sees on top of Mount Zion, standing victorious over the two beasts, over all who dwell on the earth. He is still reigning over everything is the lamb who is slain and 144,000. And if you've been with us, we've talked about that number before. It's very symbolic. Uh, it's not literally 144,000 people, but is the complete, you know, 12 tribes of Israel times 12 uh, elders or, or apostles uh, in the church with Jesus. And so you're having this picture of like, this is all of God's people. Um, it's 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. It's the perfect completion of all of God's people throughout all human history. And there they are. They're not uh, at risk anymore. They're not down there in the mess with the two beasts and all the damage and destruction that they're causing. They are on top of Mount Zion with their lamb who is their shepherd. And what does it say about what he sees happening here? It says he sees this and then he hears a voice, a singular voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. So there's this picture of it is, it is natural. It is like the sound of roaring waters. It is like the sound of thunder. It is majestic. It is also potentially terrifying, but it's also calming and peaceful because like the sound of many harpists playing on their harps. And then in verse three, it says, 
First it was a voice, and then he says, and they, they were singing a new song before the throne. This sound that he hears sounded like one thing, but, but as he gets closer and pays more attention and it's revealed to him, he sees that it's actually many voices. Because what this is, is these are all of God's people together singing a new song that they are learning from the Lamb. And it says that the only ones who can sing this new song are the ones who have been redeemed. And this, this song that they are singing is so unified that it sounds like one voice. There's no one out of tune, nobody out of harmony. There's nobody singing different words. There's nobody who's not singing. Everything is perfectly aligned. And they are singing this new, powerful, beautiful, united song. And so who are these people who are singing? Yes, it's those who have been redeemed by the Lamb, but then what does it say about them in verse four? These who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and for the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So the question I have to ask is, how are we gonna get this multitude of people singing this song with the Lamb if the description of these people is that they have not defiled themselves? And they have, there's no deception, there's no deceit found in their mouth. That they hear the lamb and follow him and obey him wherever he goes. Who can stand and sing this song? Not me. I have defiled myself in a myriad of ways. I am full of deceit. I've told many lies. And I do not follow the lamb wherever he goes, even now. There are ways and times in which he calls me and I still say no. So who can stand? Who can stand there with the lamb and sing this song? Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, no one is good. No, not one. Is anyone good? No, not one. Maybe one person? No, not one. No one seeks God. No one does good. Not even one. So how are we singing this song? We are singing this song because what theologians call the great exchange. When we, when we say that we have been redeemed, what we are saying is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake... God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel, is that Jesus has taken all of our sin not only onto himself, but into himself. This one who is sinless, who is perfectly holy, who is pure, who is innocent, who is good, who is righteous, has taken our sin into himself so our sin could be dealt with and his blood poured out and me be set free. And, and it's, we're also told that, that he was a propitiation for our sin, that means satisfaction. So it's not just that what he's done for us has erased our debt, 
But what he's done for us has erased our debt and satisfied the debtor and satisfied God fully, which means that not only has he removed all of our sin from us, but he has given us all of his righteousness. So we are clean. And so when we read this, we're like, no, this isn't me because I'm full of deceit and I've defiled myself and I don't follow the lamb wherever he goes. And what he's saying here is you don't yet know the power of the gospel. You don't yet fully understand and you won't fully understand until you are with him at the end of all things because it is, we are too limited, we cannot see. But because of the finished work of Jesus, this is now true of us. Even as we still live in this life, in these bodies of flesh, that he has removed all deceit from us. He has removed all defiling from us. He has given us a heart that is totally inclined to him. And there is a day coming where we will experience life with him without any sin in total righteousness, standing fully complete and fully mature before our Savior. But it doesn't only mean that. It means that because of what's coming, because of what's already true in Jesus that we are experiencing to some extent, but one day we'll experience fully, is that one day my desire to defile myself will completely disappear. Because I want, to, I want you to stop and think all the ways in which you run against God and defile yourselves. Um, think about the things that are compelling you to do that. Think about the desires that you have. Think about the fears that you have, the shame that you have. Think about all the things that are working in you to make you go down these paths that do not lead to life. And John is saying, there is a day coming when all of that disappears. When all of your desires for things that are alluring and beautiful, but they appear to be beautiful, but they don't really give life, all of those desires will be powerless over you because you will see your Jesus fully as he is. There will be nothing left for you to desire because you will have all of your desires met fully in him. And there will be no deceit in your mouth because the temptation to deceive will completely disappear. Because you will not be ashamed of who you are. <laughs> you will not need to lie anymore about who you are. You will not need to exaggerate about how awesome you are. You will not need to hide things from other people because your sin will completely be gone and you will stand complete before the one who has made you clean. And there will be no temptation anymore to lie or deceive. How amazing is that? And we will be able to fully see Jesus as he is, so we will follow him gladly wherever he goes because we will no longer be tempted to trust ourselves more than him. That's, that's the oldest temptation is back in Genesis 3, the enemy's like, don't trust him. Trust your own eyes and your own mind and your own lusts. You decide what's good. And now when we see him fully for who he is, that temptation will have no power because we will know that he is life and I will gladly go wherever you lead me. And here's the thing. We are learning this new song now. We will not be able to fully sing it like it is displayed here in this passage until Jesus returns and we are standing with him in victory. But we are learning to sing this song now. 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross, for the gospel, is foolishness to those who are dying, 
who are dying enslaved to the dragon, but to us who are being saved, who are being saved. Jesus has already saved us. He will save us. He's already redeemed us. He will redeem us fully. We are being redeemed right now. We are learning to sing this new song. For those who are being saved, who are being redeemed, the gospel is the power of God that is at work in our lives and in the world. And we are the first fruits. I, I learned this, uh, this was, I thought this was pretty cool this week. It says that all of these 144,000, uh, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and for the Lamb. Something I learned this week studying this passage is um, it's talked about in Leviticus. Um, you guys aren't going to look it up anyway, but I'm going to tell you. Leviticus 19, 23 through 25, if you want to go check it out. Um, but it, it was these rules for uh, when you come into the promised land, when you plant trees, these fruit trees, um, you do not eat the fruit of them for the first three years. Uh, why is that? Because uh, several reasons, but one of those reasons is they will not reach their full maturity if you treat it like a normal tree with you know, the harvest time and the, uh, the way that you cut the tree back and prune it. So for the first three years, you are not allowed to eat anything off the tree. And then in the fourth year, you pull the fruit off the tree, but it goes to God as an offering of first fruits. And so all the time we've been talking about, the time that's been, uh, that is representing the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming is, uh, do you remember what that is in years? Do you remember? Like 42 months, three and a half, right? So it's saying like um, this time of first fruits, there's gonna be three and a half years where you were suffering on this tree as you're being fully matured to the point where you can be pulled off in the fourth year for the first fruits to be enjoyed by God, fully mature. So part of what's happening in him allowing the suffering, allowing things to go on as they're going, is not only is the, the church universal being fully matured and everyone is coming in who is God's people and everyone's coming in and we're enduring for the sake of those who haven't yet come in, but it's also for our own individual sakes that we are being fully matured in this time in between and all the things that we're being allowed to suffer and endure uh, because he is completing us. He is completing the good work that he began in us. This is true of us right now. Going back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, talking about the 144,000 there, it says this, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what he is doing even now. And so something I want to talk to us about as, a, as what does this mean for us now, uh, just to get really practical and really literal, is the way that we sing or don't sing in worship. Um, I, I think it, it speaks to fear and it speaks to pride when we refuse to sing in worship because either we don't think we sound very good and we're worried about what other people have to think of us. But this is part of a very literal part of how God is teaching us to sing this song. Is he's literally teaching us to sing because it is powerful, because he is shaping us through what happens when we sing his truth back to him, when we sing his praises back to him. And it's not about us. And it's not about how we sound. It's about giving him what he deserves. And it's about giving him what he deserves in a way that he has created us for that is good for us. 
And so that is um, my challenge, ask, uh, try this experiment. Like when we sing after this, just sing. Give yourself to God in that way. Because we can all sit here and just hear this and be like, okay, cool, that, that makes sense. But there's a way in which we can come and go and never actually let him lead us anywhere. We're just consuming information. So especially if you're somebody who doesn't usually sing, if you are, if you are one who is in Christ, if you're following the lamb, sing. Because he deserves it and because he's called you to it, but also because it is good for your soul. So we are learning to sing this song with Jesus. And this next section here, um, that's, that's where I wanted to spend the most time in that first section. But in this next section, uh, we're learning to sing to the world. You know, the Lord calls us to bring uh, the gospel out into the world and into the lives of the people that he's put us around. Um, and what's happening here is we're seeing that we're not the only ones doing that. These three angels are going out with the gospel to the world. And what are they saying? The first angel is saying, uh, speaking the eternal gospel, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who's made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. He's saying to every man, woman, child on this planet, um, worship God because he's the one who's made everything. He's the one who's made you because he loves you. He's the one who's called you to himself so that you can experience eternal life in him. He's the one who did not destroy you at the first sin because he wants to redeem you because he's at work in the world working for your good. It's this call. It's like a lover's call going out and saying, please return. Please, you who have chased other lovers, return to me who is your husband. Return to me because, because I am here waiting for you. But here's, here's the humility of these calls. You know, you can read these three angelic calls and it just sounds harsh and sounds, uh, you know, that sort of the harsh clang of judgment, um, which nobody likes to hear. Um, but, but listen also to the humility and the gentleness in these three calls. The second angel says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Um, Babylon is a, a sign for whoever it is, these beasts, these powers that are working in the world to oppose God and draw people away from him. And it's saying, um, yeah, these other lovers you're running to and giving yourselves to instead of God, they're doomed. They're fallen. And so think about the fact that he's even saying this, the fact that this angel is even sent out with this message. There's, there's humility in that. Because what he says at first is worship me because of me, because I'm God and I deserve it. I'm the one who's made you. I'm the one who's made everything. I'm the one who is full of wisdom, full of righteousness, full of love. And then the second angel goes out and it's like, and if that's not good enough for you, right? That should just be enough. The first angel should be enough. But then a second angel goes out and says, these other lovers you're pursuing, they're corpses, they're already dead. It's already over. And I want to warn you, before you go back, before you sneak out after I fall asleep and go to, the, to your lover's house, like, you're going to find a corpse. So not only is it like, come because of me, because I'm the one who made you, the one you were made for, but I'm also taking the extra step to say, you're, you're not going to find what you're looking for over there. 
And if that wasn't enough, then the third angel comes and says, I'm going to get really explicit. If anyone worships the beast, if anyone just is determined to continue to worship themselves and the beast and the dragon, to continue to do life apart from God, then he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out in full strength, and will be tormented in the presence of the Lamb forever. So if I'm not enough, and the fact that these other idols are going away is not enough, then maybe the sobriety of knowing what's coming for you will be enough. And the fact that all three of these calls are going out in the last hour. I mean, think about that. Think about the mercy and grace of that. You have set up your whole life apart from me. And now I'm coming in the last hour, whereas you know anyone else would have just said, you've had all this time. Who wants you in the last hour? Because I know if you come in the last hour, it'll only be because fear for yourself. But yet God is sending this call out into the world, these three angels with this call of gospel and this call of repentance, because he loves, because he is full of mercy, because he is full of life, because he is eager to redeem. But he's also eager to establish and take seriously the desires of every human being. Like this call has gone out to you, and you are choosing to refuse to heed this call. And, and as I heard one theologian say, God is a gentleman. He will not force himself on anyone. And so if you do not want to be united with God, then you will not be united with God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 says this. He's talking to, Paul is talking about this time and says, there's a time coming when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who hear the good news and say, no, thank you. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. So what's being said here in this this these three angels, is um, there is no third way. There's no third way. There's no neutral. It is you are, you are in Christ, you are worshiping the lamb, you are hearing this call and saying, yes, that is true, or you are not. And there are a million different ways in which you can choose no, but there are a lot of different flavors, but it's all the same thing. So consider this God's mercy and humility and love and grace and his heart in making this call in the last hour. And again, I, I would say, uh, speak to those of us who are in Christ, who are part of this body, um, to examine ourselves and to see whether that same fear and pride that keep us from singing worship to the, the one who deserves worship would also keep us from singing this song of his salvation, uh, of this good news to the lost and dying world that we find ourselves in. Am I quiet? Um, and, and please hear me when I say this. This is not like to go yell on the street corner. But as the Lord leads us into the things that he leads us into, these opportunities, these conversations, these friendships with people who we do life with every day who are not in Christ, that, that we will take opportunities, we will pray for opportunities to speak 
the truth of this gospel through these relationships that he's allowed for us to develop, that he's cultivated maybe for this one particular purpose. Um, and to examine whether I am so concerned about the way I feel about myself or the way I look to other people that I would take something so serious and cast it aside for the sake of my own comfort. And if so, I need, I need to repent of that. And there are plenty of times where I do need to repent of that because that is what I'm doing. And then we see in verse 12 and 13 this encouragement to keep singing and not just to keep singing to the world but to each other because this is hard. Living life in this world is hard and we need to sing to one another to remind each other of the truth, to remind each other, hey, hold on, this is coming. The end that Jesus tells us is coming, it will come. Don't run back to your other lovers. And then we see the coming harvest. Um, and this is, Jesus talked about this in, in the Gospels. In Matthew 13, he says, there will be weeds and there will be wheat. And I will allow them to grow together. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. And here in this last section, we get two different pictures of reaping. Uh, reaping wheat and reaping grapes. And, and using those grapes for wine. And here is this comprehensive picture of the end of all things, the end of human history, and the, the uh, destiny of every human that's ever drawn a breath on this earth. Is Again, there's no third way. It says in Matthew 3, it says, Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. And there's a full maturity. He's waiting for the full maturity of both. He's waiting for the full maturity of his people, of all who would come into his kingdom to be gathered into his barn to be with him forever. But he's also waiting for the full maturity of all those who would decide and decide and decide and decide again, no, no, no. And their wickedness and their rebellion against God is fully mature. And when all of, all of the harvest is fully mature, then it's time for the reaping. And then it says that he will gather, and he will gather both. He will gather the, the weeds to be burned, and he will gather his wheat into his barn. And he will also gather these grapes in this, I mean, really horrific picture in these last few verses here, where the angels call out, and they gather these cl clusters of grapes that are fully ripe and ready to be harvested. And it says that they throw the grape clusters into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city. You know, what they would do is, you know, you have this wine press and people would get in and just crush the grapes with their feet and that's how the, the juice would flow out. Um, so we get this picture of those, all of those who are enemies being crushed in God's great wine press of his wrath and that the blood would flow from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Okay, um, and I want to say this. I want to say this about um, this last picture. You know, there is, if, if we take evil seriously, which we do, whether we say we do or not, the way we react to evil in the world, the way we react to wickedness, is even though this is hard news, this is good news. This means that there is a God who is over all things 
who cares about justice and goodness. And, and there will be justice in the, in the world. Everything wicked that's ever happened, everything evil, everything destructive that's ever happened will be dealt with. And the question is, will it come down on the very heads of the perpetrators who have done this evil in the world? Or will it come down on someone else so that they will be saved? Because this wine press was trodden twice. You know, we read here about all of those who are apart from God, all of those who have refused to worship him, all of those who refuse to give themselves to him are, are crushed and their blood flows. And that is the wrath of God poured out. But also for the people of God, those who are deceivers and who have defiled themselves and who have refused to obey God, that Christ has redeemed, our Jesus got in the wine press and he was crushed for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins so that we could have life. You know, it says that this happens outside of the gate. That's where criminals go. That's where disgusting filth is dealt with. Hebrews 3, 13, 12 says, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And so today, we get to come to this communion table. You know, Jesus gives us this picture here of both a grain harvest and a, and a wine harvest the bread and the wine. He was the grain that was buried in the ground to bear fruit for eternal life, to bring all who were lost back home to him. You know, he is the grapes that were crushed to make the wine of the wedding banquet that we drink in anticipation of what is to come when we will be with our Jesus and his father, who is now our father forever. And, and we celebrate this meal because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he was going to his suffering and death on the cross, the night that he was going to take all of our sins into himself, it said that he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. And it says in the upper room that he broke the bread and said, this is my body that's broken for you. We've been reading and hearing all about these visions that John has been given to give to us. Jesus is saying, here's another picture. This bread that's broken is my body that's broken for you so that you can feed on me and have nourishment and have life. And he said, this cup is my blood poured out. It's not your blood poured out. It was gonna be your blood that was poured out, but I came and took your place and took your sin upon me so I could take God's wrath upon me so that you could be set free. So this is the cup that is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that says you are united to God he is no longer angry at you. He is pleased with you. You are now his son. You are now his daughter. And nothing can ever separate you from him because of what I have done on your behalf. The work is finished. So no matter how you feel, no matter what you've done this week, this very morning, know that nothing can take you from the Father's hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to take this meal and, and partake in this meal until I return because it is a meal of strengthening. It is bread and wine, but there's a way when we celebrate it in this way that Jesus is in the elements, that he is, this is a spiritual act. Um, and, and because it is a spiritual act, he says, you have to take this seriously. This is not to be taken lightly. If you take this meal lightly, you are basically treading the wine press of Jesus. You are continuing to add to, um, to the wrath that is upon you. But he says, for all of those, 
So, so with that, if you are not trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, if you are still deciding that you are the one who decides how your life will be lived, then this meal is not for you. Um, but we're glad you're here and hope that you've heard something that's made you consider these things. But if you are someone who said, I am defiled, I have defiled myself. I have deceived with almost every word that's coming out of my mouth. I find a way to deceive. I do not follow the lamb. I want to, but I do not. And I am a sinner who is desperately in need of a savior. And Jesus is the savior that I'm desperately in need of. He is the one who's called, himself, he's called me to himself. And I'm believing him and saying, yes, you are the savior that's given yourself for me so that I could have life. If that is you, then come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And we're going to do the community tables. So if people are helping with communion, would come on up. Uh, we have the community tables. You can come up and, and partake as a, a group. Or we have the kneelers. You can come by yourself when you're ready. At the kneelers, you just put your hands out when you're ready um, and receive the elements. If, you're, if you need gluten-free bread, let, let us know that. Um, also, just raise a hand if you need prayer. Um, that is a very normal and good and healthy thing. Um, but, but yeah, come to this table and, and find life. Be reminded of what's true. Be strengthened as we do life in this world where Jesus has not yet returned to make all things new, but he is with us and he is teaching us a new song that we will one day sing in perfect harmony with him. Father, we, uh, we give ourselves to you. You have given yourself to us first. And Lord, would you come and do what we cannot do and uh, strengthen us with your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.